Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the third season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, go ahead and click that subscribe button. We hope that you'll check us out also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok and find out more about content. Of course, we encourage you to also check out the website at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's program. You've asked and we've answered. We're excited to announce today that we are launching the series that was conducted at the Rocky Creek Church of Christ on the topic of revival. Uh, There are five of the six that were recorded uh, that you will find here and over the next few podcasts and hope that you enjoy these. Uh, Certainly were well received and I enjoyed being able to present them to the congregation. The one that is missing is the one on reviving our study. And so we talked about being able to revive our uh, Bible study life and being able to put Bible class first when we come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays as well. Uh, The other sermons uh, in this series will include reviving our worship Uh, reviving our fellowship, reviving our homes, reviving our faith, hope, and love, and then finally reviving our spirit. So we hope you enjoy this five-lesson series as a part of Ray Reynolds' Rap. Well, good evening, church. So good to see you all tonight. We have visitors again with us tonight. Good to have Arts here in the front. Henry and I have become friends over the last few months. They came and visited at Somerdale, and so uh, I had told them I was going to get together and have lunch with them. I still got tomorrow so <laughs> so glad that uh, they're here with us and good to see brother Sam back tonight uh, we had some folks from Hurley over here last night so it's always exciting when we have get-togethers and we've missed this since COVID we really missed having singings and meetings like we used to and I really do believe that we're in a period of revival within the church and I do believe that as we're getting back together and we're realizing the significance of friendship and fellowship that the church will be much stronger in the future as a result of it. And we've got to stop looking so pessimistically at things in our world, and we've got to realize that the Lord is still on the throne. And we have to recognize that despite all the difficulties we may face in our life, if the Lord is the Lord of our life, we have nothing to fear. The Bible says he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. If God is for us, who could be against us? Amen. Amen. So it's so good, so good to be back together with you tonight. I'm excited about our time together and our message as we focus on three key words in the Bible. If you have your Bible with you, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's where we're going to start. And if you've got a bookmark, you might just want to mark it there because we'll come back and forth to that text tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Stories told of a professor. He was a man who was a man of science. He loved to be able to study, to research and to present messages based on anything scientific. He had several weeks of vacation that had built up, and there was a conference he wanted to attend in California, and he decided he wanted to take a scenic route and drive. He said, I'm going to drive the old Route 66. So he's on this road. He's traveling down through. He gets about down to the corner of Arkansas and Oklahoma and Missouri, my old neck of the woods. And as he's driving through the highway, all of a sudden something darts in front of his car. And he slows down a little bit, and it darts in front of his car again. And he begins to slow down, and he looks at it, and it looks like a chicken, but it's the fastest chicken he's ever seen in his life. And so he began to notice, and the chicken had three legs. And so he watched the chicken dart off into a pasture and saw there was a farmer out in his field, and he drove down there, and and he said, what's going on here? Did you see that chicken? He said, do I see that chicken? That's my prize chicken. He said, I raised those chickens. 
And he said, how on earth do you raise these chickens? You know, I'm a man of science. I'm a professor of science. I've got to know. And he said, well, it, it took some work, but I finally was able to breed them to where they had three legs. And he said, why? Why would you do that? And he said, well, I like drumsticks. And my wife likes drumsticks. But when we had our son, we had a real problem because all three of us wanted a drumstick. So I raised this chicken to have three legs. And these chickens are great. It's so nice. They're in the yard. You know, they're running real fast. He says, well, what do they taste like? Could you tell me what they taste like? And he goes, I don't know. Would you help me catch one? <laughs> if the church were to have three legs, this would be it. If we were able to take these three components from Scripture, we'd be so fast nobody could catch us. Faith, hope, and love. Now, if you've read 1 Corinthians 13, you know that that first part talks about what love really is. And we'll get there in a minute. As we get down to the last verse, Paul says, really, there are three things that abide. Three things that are the greatest, he says, of the virtues you could possess. And he says there in verse 13, faith, hope, and love. These three things abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. These three things. If we learn nothing else tonight, nothing else through this series of meetings, if these three things are of precedent, paramount in our life, everything else will take care of itself. How can you say that, right? How is it possible to say if I had these three things, everything else would be taken care of? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at these three words. Let's talk about faith. If we could revive our faith, and I'm talking about individually and also collectively, we would be revived as a church. The word faith, when we look in the scriptures, we see it used many times, not just here. If you have your Bible there, open up to Hebrews chapter 11. Again, mark your passage in chapter 13 of Corinthians. But in chapter 11, and the very first verse, Paul says, or the Hebrew writer, whoever it is, says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, did you see that there are two important words in this passage? We often talk about the faith part, but I want you to remember that hope is there too. And Paul consistently uses these words in connection with one another, faith and hope. Now, we know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So if you want to be strengthened in your faith, you know, you watch these uh, weightlifters, now, I played football in high school. I had the squat record at our school, captain of the football team. I loved to be in that weight room. I loved it. I could, uh, we were so, in fact, my kids, I, I'm a chaplain for our football team at Snook. And they asked me this question once in a while. I said, would you tell the story about the time that you picked up a car and moved it? And I said, okay, I'll tell you the story. I've told it many times. But we had a friend who was one of our uh, receivers named Jeff Summers. And he had a little old Ford Escort. And so me and a couple of the other linemen would get together after practice and we would pick his little Ford Escort up and go move it between two trees. So he could not pull out or in. He couldn't get out. He could get in the doors and that was it. And he'd have to come in there and go, guys, guys, would you please move my car? And so the four of us would go back out, pick the car up and move it. We thought that was hilarious. We didn't realize, you know, the strength that it would take to do that. But once we did it a few times, we figured it out. It was really crazy when we had to move it all the way across the parking lot, but we knew the two trees to put it in. If you want to be strong, you got to flex your muscles. If you want to have strong faith, you got to flex your spiritual muscles. Mm -hmm. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing 
Hearing by the word of God. Man, I just want God to speak to me. I want God to give me a message. I want God to tell me something that I can put on my heart. He speaks off the pages of scripture. Talk to him in prayer. Offer him your requests. You know what happens to your faith when you couple prayer and Bible study? You're unstoppable. Because you're not only communing with God and asking him for advice and wisdom, but as you crack open the book of life, you begin to read the scripture, it leaps off the page. And for those of us who've read the Bible a lot in our life, this has happened many times. We'll read a story and, and something will come off the page to us. We go, I didn't even, I, I've read this story so many times. Even as a preacher, we get that. We'll be studying something in our office and go, man, I've read this passage so many times. But for some reason, I went for the Vincent's word study book, or I went for a Vines Expository Dictionary, and I just decided to look up one little word that leads me on this cross-referencing rabbit trail that takes me to something totally different. The power of Scripture. You know, God spoke the world into existence. Have you ever thought about that? God spoke, and the world was made. He spoke, let it be light, and there was light. His voice brings power. It brings authority. What happens when we read the Bible? It brings authority and power and strength and comfort. Brother Ray, I am so weak in my faith, I just don't know what I'm doing wrong. Get in the book. Open your Bible. Read. Study. Apply the things that you learn. Get together with other Christians and have study together. You know, it's such a blessing to be able to have a church family that is wanting to get to the same destination as me. And we all are thinking like-mindedly. We're thinking about what it means to grow spiritually. But we also want to grow closer together in faith. We want to help each other get to heaven. That's a long road to get there. Some of us, we say, well, I'm older. You know, I, I never thought. I used to think 40 was old. I'm 45. That's not old, kids. Well, I'll tell you what. My knees may go out and I may need a lot of ibuprofen, but I am still a young man. All right? Life is short. We don't know how long we've got, but that road to heaven seems way off in the distance. It may be a little closer than you think, but we need to stretch our spiritual muscles and increase our faith. If you remember back in Genesis, there is a man that is mentioned. His name is Abraham. He's one of those characters in Hebrews 11 that is spoken of a man of faith. It mentions his wife, Sarah, as well. It also mentions his son and his grandson, Isaac and Jacob. But it started with one man. If y'all were here last night, we talked about reviving fatherhood. It takes a spiritual leader in the home to set the tone for the faith of his family. And so if you want your children to go to heaven, if you want your wife to go to heaven, you have to take the lead spiritually. And that means, man, we got to have a strong faith. And, you know, sometimes when we go through difficult situations and relationships and with our children, we fall back on that faith. How many times have you heard people who've gone through some struggle have come to church and they've said, I don't know how I could have done it without the church. I don't know how I could have done it without my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Because we're all doing our very best to have strong faith to overcome the obstacles that life may bring. Abraham believed in the Lord. The Israelites in Exodus, they believed in the Lord. And so it's no, no wonder when it says in Habakkuk 2 and verse 4 that the just, the just live by faith. Paul will talk about walking by faith, living by faith. Our theme for this year, uh, this next year at Summerdale is we're going to be talking about faith is the victory. And the whole year we're going to talk about increasing our faith, stretching those spiritual muscles to increase our faith. 
Because there will be times in your life that that'll be all you have to hang your hat on. That's the only thing is your faith in God. Your friends may desert you. Your family may desert you. And it's tough when you go through those situations. But if you have faith in God, you're still going to make it. He is with you. He will not leave you. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John that he told his disciples he would never leave them comfortless or orphanless. You have a heavenly father that is always by your side. And even like the prodigal son in Luke 15 who leaves, the father there, which is a shining example of our heavenly father, is ready to receive the prodigal on the road. And so we know even in those times where we've given up or we've walked away, God is merciful. And he is, he is truly gracious. And he accepts us back. So I encourage you to think about where your faith is. Because you're not going to get anywhere in life if you don't have a strong faith in God. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You had to make that confession when you became a Christian. Do you believe that the God you serve is the God who created the heavens and the earth? Do you believe that the God you worship on the first day of the week and the God that you put first in your life on a daily basis is the one that can and will do all things? If you believe that, the devil can't touch you. Amen. There is nothing he can throw at you that will take that faith from you. You should have such a strong faith that regardless of the obstacles, regardless of the trials and the troubles and all the temptations that we face, we can and we will overcome. Several writers in the New Testament have tried to teach that to us. Faith overcomes. It overcomes. The second one is hope. Faith and hope. Now I mentioned there in the text in Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope. What does the word hope mean? Some people say, well, the word, the definition of the word of hope is an earnest expectation. Have you heard that before? Hope is I expect to something to come out in return. Like last night when I went back to the hotel room and I, I, want, I was hungry for some popcorn. I put it in the microwave and I walked away. The ding comes, the popcorn's ready. I knew that. I had a hope. I had an earnest expectation. Now, some of it got burned because the microwave doesn't work like mine at home. But some of it was okay. But we have an earnest expectation when we put something in our oven or in our microwave, if we put it just right, the right outcome will come. If you invest in your faith and you strengthen your spiritual muscles, hope is a byproduct I have a hope of eternal life. As we go through the Bible, it talks about this genuine hope that we have. Back all the way in the Psalms, it talks about my hope is in you, Lord. So many of the Psalms are talking about having a hope, having a, a assurance, an earnest expectation of something that God is going to provide. And as we move to the, the New Testament, we begin to see things about hope. Like, for instance, Romans uh, uh, chapter 15 and verse 13. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me break that down in Romans 15. God is a God of hope. All right. He is the father of hope. He is the bringer of hope. He is the one who gives it and he gives it freely, willingly to his children. And Paul says in Romans 15, it is to produce peace. That's one of the... One of the things that hope gives you is peace. 
Remember when Paul said that God will supply a peace that surpasses all understanding? Well, we're children, children of the Lord. But just like our kids, you remember that stage you had where the kid was always asking why? Why this? Why that? How does this work? How does that work? Uh, you know, we all with a resounding voice sometimes when they ask, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do that? We go with the standard father answer because I said so, right? I don't want to have to explain it. Just do it because I said so. But we have a loving God who explains and, and allows these great promises that are seen as mysteries in the Old Testament to be revealed. I love how the Hebrew writer says, you know what kind of an age we're living in as New Testament Christians here? The Hebrew writer says, you're living in an age that the prophets, they wanted to know what you know. That there were men and women of old, that they would have done anything to have the experience of being a New Testament Christian. They were waiting for something way off in the distance. And now the hope that they had is now our present day possession. Hope is not something that is off in the distance. But hope is something that you and I currently possess. Eternal life. Eternal life is not just heaven. It's not just way off in the distance. When you become a New Testament Christian and you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are saved. It's the reason why John says in 1 John, I write these things that you may know, that you may know, that you can have this knowledge, this wisdom that Paul says surpasses all understanding, that you know beyond a shadow of doubt, if the Lord Jesus came back tonight, you'd take flight. I mean, strap a cape on me, I'm ready to go. Amen? Amen. I'm ready to go. And you ought to know with the hope of eternal life where you're going to spend eternity. There is no fear. I don't fear hell. That's not where I'm going. I don't fear it. And my goal is to take as many people with me to share this hope of eternal life. What does Peter say? Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Maybe able to give a defense for the what? For the hope that's in you. You defend that hope. I love Jesus. I love my, my, my family, my church family. I love the word of God. I love everything that is spiritual and holy. I want that joy Paul talks about in Romans chapter 15. And it comes, peace and joy and the fruit of the spirit come from this hope, this understanding that God has already provided the way. He's already provided the means of salvation. And so when I become a New Testament Christian and I come out of that water grave of baptism, I'm not held to account for anything I've done. It's all washed away. It's blotted out. We've used these scriptures all this week. It's, it's cast into the depths of the ocean. It's separated as far as the east is from the west. He scatters it among the sand of the seashore. Hundreds of scriptures blotted out, washed away. Your sin is removed. Or to use a text from Peter's words in Acts chapter 2, it's remitted. There is remission of sin. You ought to know tonight where you're going to spend eternity. You ought to know it. There is no reason why you should sit and fret and be frustrated and worried about where you're going to spend. You ought to know. And if you don't know tonight, if you can't have this hope that I know I'm going to heaven, we need to fix some things tonight. You need to come and you need to ask for prayer. You need to come and lay down your burdens and your sin and your mistakes and your problems and be covered again by the blood of Jesus. We talk about that in 1 John chapter 1. 
confessing our faults, confessing our sins, that the, the blood of Jesus Christ can cover us again. And if you're not a New Testament Christian, you need to experience salvation. Salvation is not, again, something way off in the distance. It's something you are saved. You can be saved tonight. There is no fear. Oh, but Brother Ray, you don't know what I've done. Have you read your New Testament? Paul is one who is listed as, he says in his own words, I'm the chief of sinners. In other words, you can't get any worse than me. Now, that's a little, that's a little harsh. But Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. He sees himself as undeserving of the grace of God. But the hope that we have is when God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. God keeps his end of the bargain, church. He promises eternal life. The hope that we have is I can sleep at night knowing he's going to rescue me. Noah didn't have to worry. He built the ark. He got inside. God shut the door. He knew that God was going to do what he said. That's why he built the ark. Moses knew that God was going to lead him across that Red Sea. That's why he raised his staff and walked on dry ground. Faith in Hebrews chapter 11 of all those men and women listed in Scripture. And I love how the Hebrew writer says at the end, and the world wasn't worthy of these people. They were so great. They were so wonderful. I say this sometimes to my church family, is we think a lot about what we're going to do when we get there. You got a list of people you want to see when you get to heaven. Amen. Got some folks parents, grandparents. Some of us have children. I have a son there. Think about people that we have encountered in life that we can't wait to see them. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to talk to Moses. And I want to I know, I, I know what Elijah was thinking when that, that horse-drawn <laughs> chariot takes off to the sky. I want to know what it was like to look back. I've flown before, but not in balls of fire, okay? I want to talk to Elijah. I want to talk to Abraham. He said, you had it made at your home with your dad. You're the favorite son. You got all this money and all these possessions, and you take off into the wilderness to raise your kids? What were you thinking? How did you do that? What gave you the faith to overcome? I want to talk to Job. I want to see what it was like to lose everything and say, I still am going to put my trust in God. I want to talk to, to Moses and to the Israelites and to Joshua. I, I want to talk to Joshua because I, I want to know what it was like to watch the walls of Jericho fall down. I want to talk to Paul. I want to talk to Peter. I want to talk to Jesus. I want to see Jesus face to face. People say, I want the mansion. I want the robe. I want the crown. You can have all that. I just want to see Jesus. I just want to see the nail-pierced hands. I want to touch him. I want to say thank you. If words can express how I feel in that moment. I've, I've got some things that I want to do when I get there. And I have a hope, a guaranteed seal of the Holy Spirit that lives within me that I'm going to see Jesus one day as long as I continue to walk faithfully and repent of any sin I get entangled with. Do you know what the people in heaven are looking forward to? They're looking forward to you and to me. You know why? We look at the Bible as this string of stories of things that happen to people at random occurrences throughout history, but that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is not just a list of random stories and appearances of great characters of history. There's a story that starts in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve and their sin. Remember, she took the fruit from the tree, and the Bible tells us that God cursed the serpent. And then, of course, the cursing of, of humanity, the fall, we call it. But God makes a promise there in Genesis 3 and verse 15. Don't forget, when he says from the seed of this woman, speaking of Eve, there would come one who eventually is going to save the world. And that story in the garden 
There's a scarlet, red, crimson thread all through Bible, all through your Bible that's connecting you to Jesus. How many of you like to read the paper? Anybody like to read the newspaper? Does anybody even get the newspaper anymore? That's a good man right there. Okay. I remember when I used to get the newspaper at home, and you know the first page I would turn to? Anybody got an idea? What do you think I turned to first? The comics, that's right. I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna check over there and see what Beetle Bailey's up to. You know, I love Garfield and and all of. I would I would turn to the comics. I never had a problem getting that comic strip from my grandpa when he had the paper. You know why? He always went to the obituaries. I don't know why. I don't know why. I guess he was checking to see if he'd made the list this time. But some people they get that they get that paper. They look and they say, well. Who's passed away? It's ironic that some people are obsessed with the obituary page in the paper, but a lot of the early pages of Scripture are obituaries. They're lists of names. I mean, how many of you have ever read through Chronicles, or you've read even Matthew chapter 1, and you just said, their names sound like terrible diseases. Who's going to name their child that name? But do you know each name? that is written has a significant purpose. It represents an individual that was a part of God's story from beginning to end. There's a reason why Matthew starts with genealogy. He's trying to show you a lineage from starting with Adam through Noah, on through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, all the way up to the time of Christ, so that you know that the promise made in Genesis 3, 5, the same promise that's made to Noah when he gets off the ark, the same promise that's made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, to the children of Israel, the same promise that each prophet said, don't worry, God's going to restore his people. When you change your heart, change your ways, return to me, the Lord says, and I'll return to you. That scarlet thread runs through scripture. And every story, strangely enough, each appears as a part of this. In fact, when you read Matthew chapter 1, there are some individuals there listed that you're shocked to see. You say, what is Rahab doing in this story? What's, what's Rahab got to do with it? What does, what does Ruth have to do with this story? What's Tamar? What's Bathsheba got to do with the story? Each of those stories throughout Scripture we've read, so that's kind of interesting. Why is that story there? These are the people that God used to connect the thread to Christ. So those people that are in heaven that you've read scripture about and you want to see them, you see, the Bible doesn't end with the story in Revelation. You and I are still living out God's plan. We are still a part of God's ongoing story. When you get to heaven, people are going to want to talk to you about what you've experienced. How did you overcome cancer? How did you overcome the loss of a spouse? How did you deal with what you had to handle in school? You lived in a foster home all the way through the system. How did you do that? How did you have such strong faith to overcome so much bullying and so, many, so much hate? How did you overcome that? How could you live to such a ripe old age and, and, and have to deal with all the problems that you dealt with in your family and at work? And how could you lose an arm, you know, and, and survive? And all these things we experience, and there are people waiting on us. They're wanting to hear our story. We're still a part of that scarlet thread. We're all brothers and sisters covered by the blood of Jesus, the, the chosen seed. And one day when we get there, people are going to want to hear us too. How'd you do this? That's the hope of eternal life. And I take with me, you take with you when you leave this building, a hope, resting assurance that I know where I'm going. And I know that I'm going to take other people with me, as many as I can. 
You know, if I know the road to safety, I'm not going to tell people to go another direction or not put them in the right direction. Number three is love. We talked a little bit about love this week, but I want you to listen. Yeah. Paul can preach it a whole lot better than me, so let's let him preach. If you will, look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to remind you of one thing in chapter 12. The church in Corinth had a lot of problems. In fact, if we lived in the first century, we would never place membership with this church. Okay, This is not a congregation you would say, I'd like to move to this community. In fact, if you lived in Corinth, you might drive to to some far destination. Let me find Ephesus. How many miles is it? You know, I'm going to drive right past that building. Don't want to go there. This is a church who had problem with women's role. This is a church that had problems with how they conducted themselves in communion. This was a church that thought themselves so righteous, so righteous and so just and so good that the rich folks would get there early and consume all the communion. This is a church that had trouble with using their finances in a scriptural way and had to be directed on what day to do it and how it was to be distributed. This was a church that doubted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This church has got all kinds of baggage. But yet when Paul starts off in the first chapter, he says to the saints in Corinth, he talks to them with their common faith and a hope. He even reminds them about all these sins that they had committed. Such were some of you. But they were washed and they were sanctified and they're no longer held accountable for those sins because they've been clean. But page after page, he has to remind them of what they needed. One of the main problems in Corinth was this. The early church, by the laying out of hands of the apostles, were able to do miracles. Now those fade out and that's highlighted here in chapter 13. It continues on. We see that in other scriptures in the New Testament. But they were able to do miracles. In other words, the apostles were able to touch someone and they could be healed of a disease or a sickness or brought back from the dead. Some of them had the power to be able to speak in tongues and interpret tongues. There's a lot of really neat things happening in the early church. Paul's going to tell them here, teasingly, if you will, in chapter 12, here are the spiritual gifts. Here are all the gifts that are available by the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to desire the best one, the best one. Now, in chapter 12, he also says the Spirit chooses who receives what portion of gifts. They had a faith in this congregation. They believed that if you could speak in tongues, it was the best gift. Because you could literally talk to anybody in any tongue. You could preach the gospel literally to every creature. You could go into the whole world and make disciples if you could speak in tongues. And so they lift that up as what they see as the most hallowed of all the spiritual gifts. And Paul lovingly takes that and turns it on his head. And he's going to show them that the spiritual gifts were not only temporary, but they were not nearly as potent as the natural gifts of the fruit of the Spirit. We call them faith, or we call them love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Galatians 5. He's setting the tone for that structure, that sermon, that teaching later by showing them that love ought to be a natural outflowing of a Christian, and that would last forever. Listen to what he says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now pay close attention to this section. Love suffers long and is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up, doesn't behave rudely, doesn't seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You got a highlighter or a pen with you? Underline those three words. Love never fails. What is God? God is love. God never fails. Love is paramount. Love is the most significant of all the virtues, and love is a natural characteristic of you being born of water and spirit. God's love resides in you. You can't help but be loving as a Christian. And it makes sense, too, because you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself. All of Christianity sums up in this one word, love. Now listen to what else he says. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there's knowledge, it'll vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I, I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I submit to you tonight that he is carefully dissecting each of the gifts that they had. And he's saying it doesn't matter if you can prophesy. It doesn't matter if you can speak in tongues. It doesn't matter if you have enough faith to move the mountains. It doesn't matter if you want to be a Christian martyr and lay your life down. If love is not there, none of it matters. And what a great message to a church that thought everything hung on the spiritual gifts. You know, there are some people today that want to see spiritual gifts resurrected. There was a group that met in 1900 bunch of religious people that prayed and prayed and prayed all night on New Year's that at the strike of midnight, somehow like Cinderella, you know, they'd have all these things happen to them. Of course, Cinderella's the opposite, isn't it? It's all taken away. This is the strike of midnight. They're going to get all these spiritual gifts. And when they sat in that room and they worked themselves up into an emotional frenzy, at midnight, they jumped up and started babbling and they said, it must be God. That must be God. And they started a religious movement in this country. And there are many even today that still think, if I could just speak in tongues, if I could just perform miracles, listen to what Paul says. The ability to raise the dead, the ability to speak in tongues, the ability to prophesy, to interpret prophecy, none of those gifts are as powerful, as potent, or as long-lasting 
as love. A church that desires spiritual gifts, he says, is like a baby, like an infant, like a child. Because when I was a kid, he said, I spoke like a kid. I, I spoke in tongues. I did all these things. But as you get older, you graduate, you become a man, and you put off those childish things. Some people have argued whether Paul's talking about heaven. Is he talking about heaven? You know, we'll know in part, and, and then we'll know as we have known. Some people will say he could be talking about all kinds of I've heard a lot of theories. But it's clear that only one word, one thought, is in this text, and that is love. I believe what Paul is trying to say is if we could learn to love, we could see ourselves like God sees us. Most popular verse. In the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his begotten son. Think about the word love in scripture over and over and over. And Paul says, if you, you, know how you, could, you know how you could deal with your problems? Love each other. You show me a church where brother so-and-so sits over here because brother so-and-so sits over here. And they had an argument one day after church and they don't talk anymore. I hope I'm not stepping on any toes. I've, say, I've seen that. I've seen that at churches. If we have a, a family problem with uh, an in-law or an outlaw, you know, we got a problem with the kids, a problem, mom and dad having a problem, love is the only answer. It's the only solution. You bring me any problem, you bring me any issue that someone is facing between them and another. That's why Matthew 18 says you go to your brother because you have to realize that you share a kinship. You're going to share eternity together. You need to get along. My mom and dad would always put us in the back of the car together. They'd never let one of us ride shotgun. Now, Miles let me ride, ride shotgun tonight, didn't he, Stephen? So I, I, I like that. But when I was a kid, we'd say, who wants, to, who wants to ride up in the front? My mom always sat up there with my dad. And I had to sit back here. And there was a line in that Chevy Blazer that you didn't cross, you know. And sometimes my brother would walk. He'd just kind of walk those fingers along. And he'd, boop, he's on my side. He's on my side. My mom would always say, if my dad didn't pull us over and use the belt, she'd say, y'all learn to get along. And one of the things she'd make us do, which we hated, was to look at each other. We could get out of a whipping even. I'd rather have the whipping. But she would say, look at each other and say, I love you. Say, I love you. And if we were really rotten, she'd make us hug each other and say, we love each other. If she said kiss, I'd have moved out that day. <laughs> But there is a relationship that you have with your kin, with your kinfolk, your spiritual family, and that is love. Now, it doesn't matter to me what you've done. You can hurt me. I'm supposed to forgive you. I'm supposed to love you. It doesn't matter how evil somebody is. We're supposed to love our enemies. Now, I know that's a tough line, but that's why Paul says if you learn love, you've learned it all. That's the greatest virtue of all. And it's natural for a Christian. As soon as you become a child of God, you begin to let love flow. You show compassion. Because if you're like Jesus, and we're his church, the bride of Christ, we're his hands, and we're his feet. Wherever Christ would go, that's where we go. Whatever Christ would say, that's what we say. God's words are coming off our tongue. Now, if you want spiritual things to come out of your mouth, and you want to speak with love, speak the truth in love, you've got to take it and put it in here first. You can't just expect, like I said last night, to put a book underneath your pillow and just to learn it. We take the word of God and we put it in our mind. We take it. We reserve it. We kick to every thought we take captive. Is it spiritual or is it not? Is it of the spirit or is it of the flesh? We focus on the spiritual. 
How much information do you put into your mind every day? How much, how much is positive? How much, how much of it is for the uplifting of your faith? How much helps you in the hope that you have for eternal life? Are you putting information in here that will be positive coming out? I love telling the story, and she forgives me for telling it, but we had a lady at a church one time I was working at. I told it there where she is, too. A little boy come out of the fellowship meal, and he said a bad word, and I mean one of those big, bad, four-letter things. And she looked around at us with eyes wide, and she said, I have no idea where he's heard that. I have no idea. And I said, well, I've got two guesses, <laughs> mom and dad. And so we teased her a little bit about it, and she said, yeah, we, I've said that word in front of him. Your children... Take the information you give them, and they put it right here. If you want to think more positively, you want to get rid of worry? Anybody anxious here? Anybody anxiety medicine? You know, I mean, we, we got all kinds of problems and issues spiritually. It's because we got to feed ourselves more positive spiritual information. We worry. We're not supposed to worry. Jesus says, why are you worrying about how tall you are, how short you are? Why are you worrying about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat? God provides. He always provides. David's pretty bold. He says, I've never seen someone righteous go without bread. So God provides for his own. He'll take care of you. So don't worry about it. You leave it at the foot of the cross. Give it to God. He'll handle it. And boy, I'm lucky. I'm so lucky that God handles my problems because I got myself into the mess. God is the only one that can get us out. He's the only one that can give us the healing to be able to overcome some of those obstacles. Now, sometimes... Because I have dug the hole myself, he's just going to hand me back the shovel. Sometimes in my relationships, I've got to mend some broken down walls. And church, sometimes we've got to help raise those bridges again. And they are a whole lot easier to burn and walk away than they are to reconstruct. But that's what our faith does, our community of, of the church does, because we love each other. And we're going to spend eternity with each other. You know, you need to look around the room tonight. The person on the pew next to you, I don't care what they say, what they do. This is not your enemy. No one in the church is your enemy. And the guy out there or the girl out there that you, some of you going to school tomorrow, there's somebody you want to, want mom drop me off later, you know, drop me off early so I can get to the class and avoid the locker. I don't want to take that class because he's in it, because she's in it. Don't befriend them because they say things that I, they hurt my feelings and stuff. You got, we try to avoid certain people. I tell you, church, that our true enemy is not any human that walks the earth. The devil uses people. He influences people, but people are human. And we all fall, and we all err, and we all sin. And as much as we can, we need to learn to love people. Somebody says something to you. Somebody does something hateful to you. We had a bully at our school. I'll tell this as I wrap up tonight. Uh, Jeff, I'll just say his first name. He's the only kid I got into a fist fight with during school hours. And we were in uh, gym class, eighth grade year, and I was making fun of his jacket. He dared to wear a letterman's jacket from another school, and it had his brother's name on it. And I started teasing him, making fun of him. And this kid, he didn't give me a, a, a warning shot. He just turned around and hit me. When I got up, I hit him back, and we start fighting it out, you know. I still think I could have took him, but that's not the point. We, we, we tussle it out. Uh, the only thing is I did lose a shoe in it, and that really is uncomfortable when you're being grabbed by the ear and walked all the way to the principal's office without a shoe on, and you don't look really tough. 
But when we got down to the principal's office and he told us we were going to get SWATs, they did that back then, by the way. I know I'm archaic. Uh, but they, they gave us SWATs, and then we sat there and we waited. And I see coming up the street this old car, and it's kind of cold, so you can see the steam coming off the car. And he, this, you hear tires squealing. This guy runs right into the curb, jumps out. He looks like he's been drinking. And he throws that door open. And he grabbed Jeff by the arm, and as he took him out, he beat him and beat him and beat him. Took his belt off and beat him and beat him and threw him in the front seat of the car and kicked the door shut. And he took Jeff home. Jeff didn't come back to school for a few days. You see, I didn't realize that Jeff's bad attitude and his, his, his quietness and things was representative of what he was dealing with at home. I never thought that. I just thought he was a kid that didn't like me and he didn't like other people. And if we could pick on him, we'd pick on him. I had no idea what Jeff was dealing with at home. I had no idea that they had issues with meth being cooked in their house. I had, I, I had no idea. I automatically assumed he was just a kid with a bad attitude. As an adult now, I look back and I think, man, how many people did I encounter as a youth? And the only reason they were so hard or so ugly or so mean is because something else is happening at home. When someone mistreats you, when they do evil against you, persecute you, as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, you've got to love them because they're just simply representing what they've been taught, what they've been shown, and they're letting out the anger and frustration of what they've had to deal with. That lady at the checkout line who's hateful and mean, that guy who cut you off and waved with not all three, all five fingers, you know, all that, those people have something going on at home. They have something going on up here. They're struggling. We've got to learn to react differently. That's what sets us apart. We learn to love people. Now, I'm not going to, you can mistreat me. I hope that you don't. But I hope that when it's over with, I'll say I love you. And we're going to get through this. I've had a lot of people do me wrong in my life. I could, I could list names, but hopefully they've asked for forgiveness. I have learned to forgive and we need to do that. That's what love does. Love doesn't keep a record of wrong. Love's not puffed up and proud. In no way is arrogant. Doesn't boast. But you know what love does, Paul says? Love believes. Love has faith. Love endures. Love is hope. Love never fails. Because love is of God. The world has a lot of other things on its mind. And the devil has a lot of things he tries to spew, but he cannot ever replicate love. There's no possible way. The world needs more love. And that's why God has provided the church. That's what we're here to do, is to model what it really means. As the kids say all the time, you know, I love you, I love you. We say that to people, I love you, I love you. Do we really know what love means? We really don't throw that word around. When you say you love them, hopefully it's an agape love. It's a sacrificial love. Love one another. Tonight we offer an invitation to you if you are struggling in your walk and your faith is not strong and you need to be revived in your faith. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you, I said this each time. Whatever your burden is, lay at the foot of the cross and don't pick it up again. Go down into the water group of baptism. If you are a sinner and you've not been saved by the blood of Jesus, you leave that sin. I always tell people when we come out of that water, I hope you left everything down there. Because you come up clean. You're as clean and as perfect. Had a guy just a few weeks ago, his wife, we baptized him. And I looked at him and I said, now you know what? She's perfect. Because <laughs> she's sinless. 
And the, the job or the role of a husband is to present her without blame, to keep himself from sin and try to help keep his wife and his children from sin. And when you go down into that water, you come up completely clean. And if you're ready for a clean slate tonight and, and to have the hope, you know where you're going to spend eternity. There's only one way to receive it, and that is by the blood of Jesus Christ. So if we can help you tonight, come always stand and sing. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to suggest a topic for an upcoming broadcast, or if you'd like to email me a question, or if you have a prayer request, you can send that to rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.